Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, I want to also ask you, just as your pastor, to keep our missions team prayed up. Is there a way? Uh, this is our first missions team that we've sent out in almost two years. I think we're like 19 months, something like that, since we've actually sent a team out onto the mission field. So keep them prayed up as they're there in Columbia. But I want to draw your attention to the central truth of God's word. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, and you can read it later, Adam, followed by Eve, were actually walking with God. Amen? So the original design, God's plan was always that we be near him. His perfect plan had Adam not sinned. And this is, of course, speculative based on how you would have handled it. But if you had been Adam or you had been Eve and you could have resisted the temptation to eat of that tree, then there would have been nothing but an eternal state. And there would have been nothing but you walking with God. That was the original plan. The Bible's very clear on this. So much so that the Bible declares that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. That's pretty near, isn't it? That was God's desire. It's still God's desire. It's why he sent Jesus. Because what Adam messed up And before you get too mad at Adam, you would have probably fared no better. But what Adam messed up, Jesus fixed up. Brought us back to that place to where we can be near to God again. And so that truth now comes to us here as we have also this opportunity today to celebrate at the Lord's table, to celebrate communion. That's how we draw near. We, we draw near by the blood of the Lamb. That's the reason that we can step into God's presence. And so join me if you would. We'll pray and we'll do a quick review of verse 19 before we move on and finish chapter 7 here in drawing near to God. Father, we thank you that you've always loved us. You've always desired to be near us. And in fact, it's only our own stubbornness and our own rebellion that keeps anyone away. You've made the offer of grace to the whole world through Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us as we study your word, cause us to be encouraged and lifted up. And as we come to the communion table, Lord, we know and know and know that that's your desire, that we would be near you. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts to draw as close as we can while we await heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19 from last week, For the law made nothing perfect. 
Now be very careful. It says the law made nothing perfect, but the law was made by a perfect God. Amen? There's a difference between those two things, and sometimes people confuse them. The law was absolutely perfect. God made it. So in that sense, there was nothing wrong with it. But the law was never intended to finish the whole process of drawing us near to God. It actually was really put upon the Jewish people principally to show them how far from God they actually were. And then ultimately provide them a way to go the right direction and to recognize the essential thing that would be needed to draw you all the way to God. And that wouldn't be works, it'd be faith. That's the missing ingredient from Judaism, if you will, was intense saving faith. So it pointed them to Messiah. But the law actually never perfected anyone. And I apologize for the review, but it's important you start in the right place because if you don't start in the right place, you can misinterpret this whole passage. God wants you to be near him. He's made every provision to do that, but the provision for us to draw near to God was never the law because the law couldn't do that. The law actually would, in essence, just simply remind you of how far you really fall short. When I look at the law, it's like, hmm, I'm not really doing too well there. I, I'm distant from God. I need something else. So this whole thought process is the essential goal of Christianity. And here's how we know that. What did Adam have? Direct nearness with God before he sinned. The only way to have that again is to have no sin. The law could not make you sinless. Only Jesus can do that. And so God's plan is for us to be near him. That's what the book of Hebrews really presents to us. It gets us back to the basics of really what God wants and so ultimately, because if you're near God, you have the fullest expression of God in view for yourself on a day-by-day -day basis, you can say that God wants you to be near so that your life is full or you have the fullness of God. That's the way you get closer and closer and closer. You see, a religious system can't do that. Well, we can point you the right direction. It can get you headed in the way that you need to go, but you're always going to fall short. Why? Because the onus is on you. You have to do it. You have to keep it. You have to keep proceeding forward. And the problem is, none of us are very good at doing that. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? And so for some of us, it's pretty easy to keep some of the commands, Maybe you don't have a problem with stealing. Maybe you love to just worship God, but you get into that place to where you're kind of covetous of your neighbor's goods. And so you fall short in that area. And so it helps you go the right way, but it can't get you all the way there because inside of each one of us is still a sin nature. That sin nature has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with in perfection. You can't take any sins into the presence of God. When Adam originally walked with God in the cool of the day, he was 100% perfect. 
sin-free. And that is the only way for anybody to ever be in his presence ever again, is to be 100% sin-free. Religion can't do that. Only relationship can. And so this beautiful passage, as we continue on in drawing near to God, that's why this is called a better hope. You see, because the hope of this, what we would call Judaism as a religion, in other words, our roots are specifically Jewish. We have a Jewish Savior, amen? He was born a Jew. The, the commands that we have that are the moral commandments of the law, which we don't keep, are kept in the one who is our Savior, who is Jewish. So we should love Judaism. The problem is Judaism could never save anybody. And so what we have is this deficiency that now has to be dealt with. And so that hope of religion, while it was going the right direction, could never finish the process. And so as we sit here today, I want the better hope. I want the real deal. I want to get all the way to that place to where I get to walk with Jesus in the cool of the day. And that is this hope that is now presented to us. Romans chapter 3 provides for us these verses in verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, God's righteousness was actually visible in the law and the prophets. You could see it. But that's kind of like watching a brain surgery on TV. You can see it. You can watch what a surgeon does. You can understand the tests that occurred before that surgery was done, but your chances of doing a homemade brain surgery are exactly zero, and the patient living. Right? Why? Because you're not a brain surgeon, and you can never be a brain surgeon because you don't know how to be a brain surgeon. You're incapable of being a brain surgeon. Now, if there are any brain surgeons here, I apologize. You're exempt. There may be some, I don't know. But the point is this. You can see something, you can know something, you can have knowledge of how something needs to be done, but unless you have a way to complete it, it leaves you deficient. That was the law. The law showed you perfectly the righteousness of God. In other words, it presented a righteous, holy God that demanded righteousness of the Jewish people. But they didn't have any compassion towards their fellow neighbor. They saw it kind of as a, you know, a contest, if you will, of righteousness. And they developed this system of religion that ultimately you had one group of people who was hypocritical, at least as far as Jesus said, that was the religious leaders were hypocrites. That's not my words, that's what Jesus said about them. He, he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. I mean, that's not a nice thing. I don't intend to call any of you today a, a brood of vipers, but that's what Jesus called the Pharisees. The best of the religious rulers of the Jewish people, Jesus said, you're blind guides. You strain at a gnat. You search God's word for you think that in them you have life, but it is they that speak of me. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is saying, all your religion 
isn't getting the job done. It's actually turned you into religious people that don't have righteousness. And so the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, by the way, writes verse 22 of Romans 3, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, here it is, believe, for there is no difference. Not Jew, not Gentile, not male, not female, not Greek, not Roman. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord, amen? Because of, amen? Look, if we all had to be one nationality, what's going to happen? A whole lot of the world's going to fail, right? If we were all one race, what's going to happen? A whole lot of the world's going to fail. If we all had one political bent, what's going to happen? The whole world's going to be in trouble. You get the picture. You see, there's one Savior, and notice what Paul says to the church at Rome, if you believe on all who believe, there's no difference. That's because God wants us to be close to him. And it's not about your race. It's not about your ethnicity. It isn't about your country of origin. It isn't about your political bent. It isn't about any of those things. It is all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? This is so important in our world right now. This is the thing that matters. This is the distinctive of drawing near to God. Because every person on this earth can draw near to Jesus. Everyone. No matter what language you speak or what culture you would say is your people group. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you're part of a bigger family. It's called the body of Christ. Amen? That's why it's a better hope. That's why it's not about how you do church. You know, sometimes people openly will say, well, you know, they do church this way. We just sang a hymn that I learned when I was 10, okay? Now I can tell you, my former Baptist pastor heard us do that with electric guitars and with colored lights, there would have been an issue. It's like, oh! But are not the words exactly the same? Are not we singing to God and not to how I feel about it? You see, praise is offered to God. Why? Because we're trying to draw near to him. The better hope is that we draw near to him. So the expression of how we do that is not the issue. The issue is God draws us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our hope then is in him and our hope is eternal. Our hope can't be dismissed by the way that we dress. Whether I wear a tie or don't wear a tie, whether... You know, I, I, you know, people, have, it, it's strange to me how we can get hung up on so many things that do not matter. Amen. We, we, we got to get past it. It's like, we're like, please, in Jesus' name, if it boils down to, you know, I, well, I'll just tell you, I had a guy complain to me, there was somebody that came in and they were wearing a Raiders jersey. 
You go, well, you know, the Raiders, uh, they're, they, they, they're demonic. It's like, please. It's like, my goodness gracious. What's next? You know, are you, we're going to have the shorts police? Well, your shorts are a little too short. We're supposed to be drawing near to God. Not nearing draw, not, draw not, not drawing near to some certain expression of how somebody might relate to the world that they live in today. We got to figure out a way to get to that place. You see, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is what instructs us on how to do that. And you know, I can't find a single thing in the scriptures about Raiders jerseys. Or any other football team, for that matter. I think Dodgers are in there somewhere, but I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. But that's how those things start. It's like, oh, well, you're for that, or you're for this. Look, I'm for Jesus, okay? That's the hope that we have. That's the better hope. Why? Because it's guaranteed by Jesus himself. Verse 20. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath. You know who swore about Jesus being who Jesus was? It was God the Father. God the Father made that declaration. When Jesus was baptized, Matthew's gospel records it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father said, this is my son. He swore that oath. Hear him. And so as we think about the guarantee that's here in verses 20 to 22, for they became priests without an oath. Nobody ever swore an oath about the high priest. None of them. Not a single one. But he, with an oath by him, who said, The Lord has sworn, sworn, will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And by so much more, Jesus has become a surety. You can circle that word. It's unique. It means a guarantee. It means a bond. It means the price is paid. It means that there is an absolute 100% eternity-backed guarantee that Jesus Christ can save you to the uttermost. A surety of a better covenant. You see, the old covenant got you really close. The new covenant gets you all the way into heaven. Okay, finishes the work that was foreseen in the Old Testament law But Jesus gets you all the way home. You see, he is a guarantee. Do you guys even, you know, now it's like everywhere you go, you go to a restaurant, you got to take out your camera and take a picture of some, you know, some QR code in the middle of a table. They don't even give you menus anymore. Anybody else hate that? Okay, good. I just thought I was the only one. Why? I don't carry reading glasses with me and I cannot see the menu. I can't see the little things on there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bring me a menu. But you know, everything's that way. You you get a guarantee now. You used to get a manual, right? 
You know, it's like 20, 30 pages of how to take care of your refrigerator, how to replace the filter in there, how to do all that kind of stuff. But in the back of it, there was a guarantee, like this product is guaranteed for workmanship and defects for a period of one year or 10 years or whatever. Everything on earth is kind of that way. It's guaranteed for a little while. Not so with Jesus. Your eternity is guaranteed forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? You see, part of the problem is we're so used to settling for, oh, that's a good guarantee. It's 10 years. Or you get a roof warranty. It's good for 50 years. No, Jesus guaranteed with his own blood that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and those that believe in him will be saved. Amen? He's become a surety. He guaranteed it. You see, the guarantees on those products you buy are only as good as the company that backs them. Amen? So if the company goes belly up, what do you think you're going to get from that company? Zip, not a nothing. You'll get nothing. Why? Because they don't have unlimited resources. So if something happens and that company is financially compromised or damaged, you may have a refrigerator that has a guarantee, but that guarantee is no good because the company that backed it is gone. Not true with Jesus. He was before all things. He is both the beginning and the end. He's alpha. He's omega. And so what he has done, he has done forever. That's why it's a better covenant. The old covenant wasn't a permanent covenant. It was for the Jewish people for a time. And in fact, they can't actually fulfill what is required of them because there's no temple left. So they've spiritualized it. And so it's important for us to see this difference. These explicit oaths that were given to the Jewish people were great oaths. God made them. He said, here, look, this is how I want you to worship me. This is what I want of you. But the fact of the matter is they disappeared. In other words, the temple, which was supposed to be the place where Yom Kippur happened, isn't even there anymore. So how could that guarantee anything? The way that they had their their sins atoned for now is treated figuratively. Are your sins figurative or are they real? They're real, amen? So don't you think they really need to be dealt with? Only the blood of the lamb does that. What a guarantee that is, amen? Because I know me and I believe I can speak for you as well. I need permanent forgiveness. I don't need temporary forgiveness, okay? I need permanent forgiveness because I'm permanently a sinner and I permanently need a savior. So how is Jesus really better in that sense? Verse 23 and 24, now there have been many of those priests and I'm reading from a modern version ENIV here because it helps us make a little better sense of it since death prevented them from continuing in office. You see, every high priest of men died. They they couldn't do anything permanently. They had to pass their duties along to somebody else. But because Jesus lives forever, he's become a permanent priesthood. Amen? So instead of you having to wait, look at it this way. 
you go into the high priest, you, you kind of get to know him. And you're like really in. And so you can be guaranteed that at least the high priest who's serving in the temple right now actually knows you personally. But what happens when he dies? The next guy doesn't know you. Next guy's never seen you. Has no idea the history of how meticulous you were previously. Jesus knows you because he knew you before you were born. And he still wants to spend eternity with you. Isn't that crazy? Jesus has known your whole life before it ever existed. And he still wants to have you in his heaven. It's a beautiful picture of who we are. How is Jesus better? Well, he, he's permanent. He's not kind of sort of a high priest. He's a high priest forever. Jesus will never mislead you. The counsel he gives is perfect. It's not kind of sort of on today and off tomorrow. He's spot on 100% of the time. What Jesus delivers us from is permanent deliverance. These things that used to be temporary with the law and temporary with Judaism in general are now complete. The intercession that you could get from a priest, you went into the courtyard and you, you brought your lamb and it was slaughtered and the sacrifice was made for the sin and the cleansing happened at the bronze laver, and then the prayers were offered at the, offer of, uh, at the altar of incense. That was wonderful. It was great. It pointed to heaven. But now you have Jesus interceding for you every moment of every day. That's a whole bunch better than once a year for an hour or two, right? You know, how long could it last? How much personal attention to your sin do you think you actually got on the Day of Atonement? Can I tell you, zero? It, it, it had to be a corporate... I mean, can, you, can you imagine? Now, I don't want you to think ill of the people sitting around you, but just try and imagine the number of sins that everyone in this room has committed. It's like, yikes! I mean, if I had to write those down, I mean, I type pretty quickly. I do my own notes. I make my own PowerPoints. I kind of, you know, I, I'm okay at that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, if you just did a solid march through my office all day, every day, I would never keep up with just writing down the sins that you need to be forgiven of. Never. Because they include all kinds of things you're probably not thinking of right now. Like you copped a bad attitude. You know, you're, you're wandering down the street, and there goes somebody in a nice, you got a beater car. It's like, oh, how come they got that one? That's covetousness. So you're going to be coming to me. It's like, well, you know, I had a, I had a bad attitude. I, you know, I was kind of angry with my spouse. I, I yelled at my kids. You know, you got to put it in the right perspective. All that needs to be forgiven. Not just the big stuff. So there was no personal attention to that forgiveness. But can I tell you that Jesus has personally forgiven all of your sins when you asked him? Amen? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from every last little bit of unrighteousness. Amen? Big difference on how Jesus is better. Can I just remind you, please, Stop wallowing in the sin that has been forgiven by Jesus. Stop it. Express it. Ask him. 
Let him forgive it and then forget it. The devil, I think, does as much harm by causing us to feel like we have not been forgiven and we wander around in that place to where we're almost like the Jewish people waiting for the next Yom Kippur. The one that the Lord has set free is free indeed. Amen? Simply put, Jesus is better at everything in every way you can possibly imagine. There's constant, ongoing intercession. Can you imagine if you were, I don't know what your big deals are in your life. You know, I'm fairly mechanically competent, but nobody can work on the cars that we produce now, right? You open up the hood, you just go, nope. <laughs> Not happening. It's like, you don't, you don't need a mechanic, you need a computer tech to work on your car now. You know, it used to be when I was growing up, man, you pull the engine out, put a new one back in, you could do that in your garage. Now you can hardly check the tire pressure without consulting a manual. It's like, how do I do that? There's an automatic thing here that does it for me. Jesus is with you every moment of every day and everything you need to know, he already knows the answer to. He knows exactly what you need. Imagine, that's who wants to be near you. The one who has an answer for everything that will ever befuddle your mind. And in that sense, we can see it here. He meets every need. Verse 26 to 27, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners, exalted in the heavens. No high priest had those designations. No earthly person. I don't have them. The Pope doesn't have them. Nobody's got those qualifications. It's a fellow human being. We all need intercession too. I need Jesus as much as you do. And one of the misnomers that we have in our world is somehow pastors are better. No, I'm just more responsible. I'm going to give a greater account. We just covered this in the book of James. I'm facing a stricter judgment than you all. That's what I've got to look forward to. Prayerfully, I haven't misled anyone in teaching his word. That's the fear that every pastor has. But better as a human being? Same things you struggle with. I have to go through the same pains you do. I get tired. I'm walking into, I I was in a store. I'm like, people arguing over masks. I watched a fight break out between two people. I'm like, I wanted to slug them both. (laughs) It's like, you all are the reason this keeps going on. You know, it's like, I don't like, so my flesh got stirred up. And then I'm like, oh, Lord, all right, you need to intercede here. Because Pastor Jeff's just going to hit somebody. <laughs> it's what I thought of. Now, praise God, it was just a temptation. It stayed in my mind. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that. That will not look good on the front page of the L.A. Times. <laughs> but that resident sin was still in there. And so this passage reminds us, look, Jesus does what I can't do. Unlike the other high priest, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. 
You see, the high priest had to offer them for themselves. They spent most of their time offering sacrifices for themselves so they could get ready to offer them for you. And quite frankly, that's what every pastor does. Every message I teach, I have to prepare and I have to do it myself. I have to live it myself. I have to offer up those same things that I'm telling you. That truth has to be real for Pastor Jeff. It applies to me as much as it does to you. This isn't me teaching to you. This is us learning God's word together. Amen? So in that sense, I got the same problems you got. I may not have them in the same measure. Hopefully I'm a little better at resisting temptation than most people, which I believe I am. But those are also works of the Holy Spirit. That's something that God can do for anyone and everyone who desires it. So the holiness we need, that's Jesus. The blamelessness, I have to be completely spotless before God the Father. That's not mine, that's his. The purity, you you see there can't be any stain in us. There can't be any sin in us. There can't be internal, there can't be external. Jesus provides that. The sanctification, the becoming more and more saint-like, that's Jesus. He's the one that's doing that work in me. The Holy Spirit empowering God's word in my life, the prayers that I offer, it's like, Lord, help me with that. And ultimately, my total access to heaven is from Jesus. Amen? I don't know how many of you have had an opportunity to be at large events to where you can get an all-access pass. Maybe it'd be a concert or a stage production or something like that, but there are badges generally at most productions, and if it says all-access, that means you can go anywhere. They're fairly rare. Not everybody gets them. You don't get one when you buy a ticket. In that sense, as far as heaven's concerned, you all have all-access passes. You can go anywhere and everywhere in heaven when you get there. There, There's no, you know, like, here's the place where, you know, the kind of not such good Christians go to. Because that would be really overcrowded, okay? No, we all have the all-access pass because Jesus guaranteed it. He's perfect. He is our source of perfection. He's the reason you're going. When you get there, you're not going to be, well, you know, I still got work to do. No, when you get there, you're going to be perfect as he is perfect. Amen? I can't wait. No more sin. No more temptation. All those things are going to be gone. That's why when we talk about Jesus and where he is, he is exalted in the heavens. You see, blood that was cried out for there in Leviticus 17, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That still stands. But Jesus provided that blood that is the full remission of our sin. That's what communion represents, which we'll be partaking of in just a few minutes. What Jesus did, he did once and for all, for all. Amen? There's no other sacrifice that's needed. You don't need Jesus and a goat. You don't need Jesus and a sheep. You don't need Jesus and a cow. You don't need Jesus and a wave offering. You don't need Jesus and anything. You just simply need Jesus. Amen? Why is that important? 
Because Jesus actually made that promise from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus finished the work on the cross, there was nothing left to do. It's no longer about religion. It's now about relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not about an expression of how to do church. It's about the precious blood of the Lamb that forgives all sin. It's about what Jesus did that's now permanent. And by way of review, if you look at this, notice, for the law appoints high priests from men who are weak, but the oath came after the law. In other words, the law existed, and God cried out from heaven, there in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God calls out and says, this is my beloved son. Now, what was known about him at that time? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was that important to the Jewish people? Because when the high priest on the Day of Atonement offered up a sacrifice, they actually literally killed one of the animals. The second one, the sins of the people, were prayed into that goat. That was the goat that was known as the scapegoat. It was not killed. It was sent out in the wilderness to die a natural death. Maybe to be preyed upon by some wild animal. But the sins of the people went on the scapegoat. The blood of the sacrifice went to the altar. So some of those sins went with the scapegoat. It was never done. There was scapegoat after scapegoat after scapegoat after scapegoat. I don't need a scapegoat because I have Jesus that's actually forgiven my sin. Amen? My sins are forgiven. God doesn't even remember them anymore, though he can. The appointed son who has been made perfect forever. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect one forever. He's not kind of, sort of, almost near. He, he, He didn't partially complete the work. You see, all of those sacrifices couldn't do what Jesus did. Jesus finally did what they were looking forward to. What they pictured every day when they went into the courtyard and said, man, I really want to kind of make an offering now. I know Yom Kippur isn't for another six months, but here's a, here's a goat or here's a sheep or here's some turtle doves or here's my offering of wood to put on the fire. I want to do something for God. God said, you can't do enough for me. I'm going to do it for you. And he sent his own son into the world to die in our place because we needed to die. Jeff needed to die. That would be the only way to take care of it. The problem is when Jeff died, Jeff would have still perished. And so it took the perfect one dying in my place. The original readers of this letter would have been so foolish to abandon their relationship with Jesus to go back to the law because the law couldn't do what Jesus did. Rather than trying to please God, on your own merit. Anybody ever had a time in your life when you just thought what it took to get into heaven was be better than everybody else? I think most people do. 
I mean, most people, they're honest. They just go, well, I'm a good person. I can't tell you how many, how many people I've sat down, I'm sharing the gospel with them, and, it's like, and I'll ask them, do you think you're going to heaven? They'll go, yeah. And I'll ask them why. You know what they usually say? I'm a good person. And then you say, compared to what? Compared to what? Compared to who? Because see, the standard isn't your fellow human beings. It's not that you're better than other people. You need to be perfect. You can't have any stain in your life when you go to heaven. There can be zero evidence of sin. It has to all be dealt with. So when you say you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're automatically excluding yourself. Because that in and of itself is prideful. It's like, I can be better than other people. It's kind of like when you're being chased down by a bear. You, you don't have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster than everybody else. That's the way a lot of people look at forgiveness of sin. Well, I'm better than them. No, you need to be better than Jesus, and you ain't making that, get, that grade, right? You're not going to get there. That's not going to happen. You have to allow his perfection to be yours. His righteousness has to be put into your account. You have the elements of communion. I'm going to have Pastor Alex come back out. And if you take out your communion cup and on the bottom you'll see there's a little seal there. You can pull out the, the matzah. For those of us who've accepted Christ's sacrifice, and that's what this is, I would remind you that this is for those of us who know Jesus. If you haven't received the elements of communion, just stick your hand up. We'll make sure that you get some. This represents the whole package. Paul, as he would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, makes a statement on the night that Jesus was betrayed he did two things. And those two things represent the only things that need to happen. Paul didn't go on to say, well, you really need to go to church. You need to become a student of Scripture. And by the way, going to church, being a student of Scripture, great thing. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, think about it. What did Jesus leave with the disciples? He left them two very simple things. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, Take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. Let's partake. Why was that important? Because no matter how much you broke your body, no matter how many stripes you received, no matter what happened to you, 
no matter how much of you you would allow to be destroyed for your own sin, it would never be enough. So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, broken in your place, broken because my body broken for you is sufficient. It is enough. I am holy. I am righteous. What you are not, I am. So much so that the Jewish people actually knew the Lord Jesus as I am. And Jesus would tell them, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And after he had taken the bread, he then took the cup. And because it's after the supper, the first two cups would have been before the supper. The third cup, the cup of the hallel or praise. He took the cup of praise. And when he himself had drunken from it, he said, take and drink for this is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for the remission of sin as often as you drink of it do so in remembrance of me let's partake together Lord Jesus we as your church as your bride, as your people, as your children, as your disciples, as the one for whom you died, we say thank you. And we remember you, Lord. In every way you are better. You did for us what we could not and would not ever do for ourselves. You died in our place. You allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. And in doing so, you paid the price that we could not pay. You did what we could not do. Lord, our eternity is banked on this one central thought. Lord, that you are what we are not. And did what we could not. And so Lord we thank you for your sacrifice. We bless your name. We ask all of this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out. Make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.